takes away from one tackle, the 20, the 15, the 10, he's got speed, he's going to the end zone, touchdown MSU! Dawson, out to Harris for a three ball, he got it! Kennedy looking, center shot, and score! They score! Thanks, that good, it's good! He won't go anywhere! The Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl! Completion! Impact Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus. This is The Pack. And your host, Fino. That is right, your host, Fino, alongside. Welcome to The Pack, the only place from Michigan State's campus where you get in-depth sports talk, ranging from football to baseball to hockey, you name it. We're talking about it right here from WDBM Impact Studios. Fino. Faith right here alongside and Matt behind the glass. Thank you so much for listening to The Pack, where we embrace the the Spartan debate always every Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. with the Asian Music Show following us up at 8 o'clock hour right here on WDBM 88.9 FM. The number to call in, 517-432-3893 is our number. So if you want to get in-depth and talk a little sports knowledge with us, feel free to call in as well. Faith, we do have a big show plan in our first segment. We're talking the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 49, the New England Patriots 28, the Seattle Seahawks 24. What controversy at the end of the game? We'll break it all down, but hats off to the New England Patriots. Tom Brady wins, hey, his fourth Super Bowl, his third Super Bowl MVP. Tom Brady is the real deal, the Michigan guy. We'll talk about it in a little bit. In our second segment, we welcome Dan Kilbert from 24-7 Sports, SpartanTailgate.com to talk with Faith and myself. And it's a big t- – I think that's going to be a huge segment. National Signing Day is coming up. It's right around the corner. Dan Kilbridge will be here via f- telephone, cell phone if you're into that. And we'll be breaking down the Spartan commits for the Michigan State football team 2015 class, which a lot of people are hailing to be one of the top recruiting classes in Michigan State history. We'll break that down as well. Our third and final segment around 745, we're going to Michigan State women's soccer head coach Tom Saxon over the telephone as well. We're going to break down how his offseason is going. Not really an ex, you know, an excellent season for his standards. 9-9-1, and 9-3-1 in conference. Ask him about what he can do to improve the team's conference record, who he has coming back. Faith will also break down their recruiting class a little bit as well. So all that and more, number to call in as well. 517-432-3893 is the number. Don't feel free to call in. Matt Behind the Glass is answering all your calls. If you want to be on air with us and share some knowledge, why not? But, Faith, let's kind of bring this back. Let's go right into our first segment here. Michigan State, obviously a great team, but apparently Seattle Seahawks didn't get that same memo that Michigan State did. Michigan State could excel and come back at the last second. Seattle really squandered a lead, a 10-point lead to be exactly, in the fourth quarter, where if you're really into the whole Vegas thing, Bavada, Vegas odds, they had Seattle a 60% chance at the start of the fourth quarter to win that game. Up 10 points, you think New England is going to stifle, they're on the ropes. And again, it's no Eli Manning. It's no Eli Manning in Arizona, but the Seattle Seahawks and Jermaine Curse. No David Tyree, Jermaine Curse. You're thinking it's deja vu all over again with the juggling. I I thought I was doing Cirque du Soleil. The (laughs) juggling play, they make the play. I think it's impossible for Seattle not to win when you're moving the ball at such an excellent rate. You know what? I thought Seattle had it in the bag. The questionable play calling at the end you can really allude to. But Tom Brady, when all said and done, two interceptions, three Cs, calm, cool, collected. He's really Tommy terrific, and you saw it. 
37 for 50, over 300 yards, four touchdowns, sacked once, really mobile. And, you know, there's a lot and enough cannot be said. And I'm a Jets fan. I don't like New England at all. Bill Belichick coached the Jets for a day. But you know what? I respect the hell out of the team. They're a great team. And Tom Brady is arguably the greatest quarterback in NFL history. And I'm sure we'll probably get to that, you know, talking about Tom Brady. Is he the greatest quarterback? But He's in, I, he's in I, the conversation. I think this game that just happened yesterday is probably one of the most entertaining Super Bowls that has happened so and, far. And, I mean, and if you look at it, like you said, Patriots were down 10 points going into the fourth. Yep. And, you know, no team has come back from a greater than a seven-point deficit in the fourth quarter in Super Bowl history. So for them to come back and win this game, it's pretty incredible. I thought it was insane because, to me, I think now the whole debate, did New England win this game or did Seattle blow the game? Now, I'm not going to get to that level. I'm really not. But, honestly, I thought Seattle had the game in the bag and they blew it. But New England came and made plays when it mattered. I thought Russell Wilson played excellent. And I understand he gets a lot, you know, a lot of people aren't giving Russell Wilson a lot of credit. He made the mistake at the end on the slant. It was a great play at the end, period. So I'm not really going to get into the whole thing at the end. Butler made a hell of a play there. Absolutely. You jump that slant route, that is that is career-defining play. But I think this game was really about Russell Wilson's play as well. I thought Russell Wilson played exceptional. A lot of people, when Russell Wilson came into the NFL – Whatever he was, the size, the questions, you heard the same thing about Drew Brees coming out of Purdue. Would his size be a factor? Clearly, his size is not a factor. I'm talking about Russell Wilson. He is mobile. He can The way he can elude pressure is unbelievable. The way he can shift in the pocket is unbelievable. I think, still think Seattle is a very interesting dynamic. And going forward, Marshawn Lynch re-signing Beast Mode must be voluntarily mandatory, a.k.a. they must do it. I think for the Seahawks to go back-to-back, they go back-to-back to the Super Bowl. It's pretty awesome. But I want to go back to that one last play. And you said you really didn't want to talk about it, Fino, but Malcolm Butler, he's this undrafted rookie and catches this pass. But my question is, why was why did they even pass it? I mean, 20 seconds left. You have, what is it, second down? Yeah, second down. You're throwing in a second down. L- let me be clear about something. And forgive me for, you know, just just let me be clear. Seattle could give you any explanation in the world about why they threw the football. It didn't make sense. They're on the one-yard line. I, I don't understand it who, didn't why make they sense. ever would. Marshawn Lynch almost scored on first down. So you're right there. If I'm Seattle, and I thought Seattle was smart, you need to run it down their throat, push Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch is one of the greatest running backs in our game right now. 24. 24 carries, 100 yards, again, again, again. Marshawn Lynch is the definition of clutch. Again, another 10-plus touchdown, 1,300-yard rushing season for Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch is exceptional. He's a bull. I don't understand why they didn't run it on second down. They would have run it on third down. And guess what? It doesn't matter what they would have done on fourth down because they would have scored in the end zone if they would have ran the play on second down with Marshawn Lynch. I'm sorry. You're not stopping Marshawn Lynch with yay to go. It's not happening. And to me, Pete Carroll giving me, oh, we would have passed the ball on second and then ran it on third and fourth. No. No. You should have just ran the ball. Come on. 
You have one yard. I, I don't understand big, why they new, even went through their, their minds. I would bet my life savings that New England doesn't stop Marshawn Lynch on those downs. I'm sorry. It's not happening. Period. And what they needed to do was run that ball. And I'm forgive me. Forgive me for being repetitive. Forgive me for not reiterating this further. But I can't emphasize this enough. Seattle needed to run the ball. And I'm not going to say, I am not going to say that they lost the game that way. But I'm just saying, that's a hell of a play by Malcolm Butler. That's a great, and that ball was there. He jumped it. That, rat, that slant route was there. I just don't understand why you're throwing the ball. It doesn't make sense. You can't put an explanation to it. You should not have thrown the I don't know ball. whose call it was. I don't know if it was you know, the offensive coordinator. I mean, either it's way. Bad. It was, well, it's, it, it's Pete Carroll. Yes. They're, they're all in on that. But, but nonetheless, I don't know why they thought that would be It doesn't make good... sense. It doesn't make sense. And to me, it's not, it's not Russell Wilson's fault, as it should be. It's a play-calling issue. But you know what? I don't put the worst a worst play-calling issue. <laughs> yeah. But I don't put a lot of emphasis on the play call. I don't think... Here's an example where play calling single-handedly made the game. Okay, fine. But to me, Malcolm Butler still made the play. And that's very career-defining for me. Julian Edelman still had an excellent game. New England was just dominant with Gronkowski. Seattle had no response to Gronkowski, just like New England had no response to Chris Matthews. And I'm not talking about hardball. Because really, Seattle's playing hardball with New England. Because when you looked at it, Vereen had a great game. Gronkowski had a great game. Edelman had an exceptional game. I don't think Edelman's getting enough credit. I really don't. I think Julian Edelman had an exceptional game for Tom. And Tom Brady, you can't say enough about Tom Brady. Yeah, I want to ask you, yeah. Do you think Tom Brady is the, the best? It's such a hard question for me to answer, and I want to be as biased as possible, but I can't. Uh, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say yes, and that's tough. For, that's very tough for me to swallow. It really is. I just think it's either him. He's in the, he's in the leagues as, is he better than Joe Montana? That's the debate. Is he better than Terry Bradshaw? Absolutely. So you look at his numbers, the, the amount of divisions he's won, the amount of playoff games he's won, the coach he's had, he hasn't really had a lot of help. But Tom Brady, I can't say enough about this guy. Four-time Super Bowl champion. He's taken the Patriots to six Super Bowls, and you know he's been there since 2000. Just look at the accolades. Four-time Super Bowl champion, three-time Super Bowl MVP, six-time AFC championship, two-time NFL MVP, two-time AP first-team All-Pro, ten-time Pro Bowler, three-time NFL passing touchdown leader, two-time NFL passing yards leader, if you really want to get into Sports Illustrated Man of the Year, yeah, he was Sportsman of the Year in 05. He was Sporting News Sportsman of the Year in 04 and 07. AP Male Athlete of the Year. I mean, Offensive Player of the Year, NFC, NFL, I mean, AFC. Just New England Patriots all-time passing touchdowns, passing yards. He's got everything going for himself, not to mention, Faith, NFL records, 29 career playoff starts, as a quarterback, nine-time NFL conference appearances for a quarterback, six-time conference championship for a quarterback, most career Super Bowl touchdown passes. The list goes on and on and all, and as well, 12-time division champion. It's a, it's unreal. See, I, I would also argue that if it wasn't for David Tyree's 
amazing catch in Super Bowl 42 in 2008, Brady probably would have had five Super Bowls with this last one. Hands down. Absolutely. And like you said, people are arguing, all right, Joe Montana. But if you think about it, Joe Montana played in an era where there wasn't a salary cap. So he could have all the best guys around him. And now all these teams are struggling with that salary cap. Well, yeah, yeah. It's a different league. You got to remember. It's completely different. Oh, yeah. NFL now is more passing oriented than ever. That's the way it's been now. Okay, you got guys that are throwing for 4,500 yards in their sleep. You never had that back in the day. We're seeing this now. To me, what Tom Brady has done, and he really hasn't done it with anything. And the only time he's had a legitimate, and that's not a disrespect to Julian Edelman, the Deion Branches, you know, the people that have played for Tom Brady in that system, you know, Benjamin Watson, the tight ends. The really only time, Faith, he's had a Hall of Fame receiver is Randy Moss in that year, 07, and look, they lost to the Giants that year. You know, he honestly was a washout when he came to the Patriots. He was on the verge of retiring. You look at his last season, he was with Oakland. He had 533 yards. He comes to the Patriots and catches 98 passes and almost 1,500, uh, 1500 yards. Yeah, I mean, he was unbelievable that year. The amount of— But I'm of- saying you, you give these players to— Tom Brady, and he just makes incredible receivers. Uh, I mean, look, Tom Brady. Tom Brady makes people. Period. I mean, there's, there's no. Tom Brady makes people, and I understand you mentioned faith with Randy Moss, but that season he had 23 touchdown receptions. That's the most in NFL history in a season. Not to mention, back in the day, Randy Moss had most touchdown receptions in a season by a rookie with 17. I don't understand. That's Minnesota, but still, that just shows you the talent that Randy Moss was in New England, and Tom Brady finally had someone to link up with that season. In today's you know day, though, Julian Edelman, you kind of touched on him, nine receptions, 109 yards, one touchdown. He was a seventh-round draft pick in 2009, and Brady has turned him into this incredible receiver. Oh, yeah. 92 passes this season. I mean, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And it's just – it's like Wes Welker. Wes Welker was in Miami, okay, and he was not all that. He said he had one good season. He comes to New England. Wes Bunker breaks out. Excellent season. Gets the payday. He goes to Denver. Now, ironically, he's a free agent again. But Tom Brady makes receivers, period. Now, I understand Gronkowski is a beast, but who is Gronk before he's in New England? I mean, obviously, his career was start- was in New England when it started, but he was he was nothing. He was just a guy from Arizona, you know? And New England is just soaring. And we're seeing that now. Gronk had a bounce-back season ever since that 2011 season where he broke out. Look, New England's got it going on, and New England's always had two tight ends. And I know this is scary to think about. Imagine if this team still had Aaron Hernandez. Now, Aaron Hernandez, you can judge him off the field all you want. On the football field, hell of an athlete. So to me, that just shows you really what Tom Brady is working with. Obviously dealing with a lot of issues here with off-the-field issues with some of his other players, but that just shows what Tom Brady is as a quarterback and mainly what New England has been, what Bill Belichick has meant for this team. I personally don't like Bill Belichick. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Bill Belichick, but you know what? He's a hell of a coach, period. You know, he doesn't give you the responses you want, but he's a hell of a coach. And I know anyone who's ever played for Bill Belichick has said nothing but promising things for him. And they have commitment to ownership as well. Robert Kraft is an excellent owner. Period. You see a lot of crappy owners in the NFL who are just <clears throat> do not have their team's best interest at heart. This is not the issue with the Patriots. The four, the Patriots, and Bob, and Robert Kraft was involved with this team. 
They were nothing. No, I we l- touched on it a little bit, but Jermaine Curse, that incredible catch. Yeah, it was insane. Now, Fina, I do want to ask, if the Seahawks had won this game, would that have been probably the best catch in Super Bowl history? No, I no, no. You I, don't think so? No, because it, it bounced was, off every body part that he had. It was lucky. <laughs> I'm still always gonna say the greatest catch in Super Bowl history is the David Tyree on Rodney Harrison. Because that was so insane. Eli Manning eluded everything on that play just to get the ball up to give David Tyree a chance. Rodney Harrison is all over him. It's clean all over. Oh yeah. But and he caught he, it he, with his right on his helmet. There to me, the Jermaine Curse play, I'm not knocking it. It just was more lucky. Versus the David Tyree play was more skill. Yes. You want to tell me better catches? Santonio Holmes against Arizona in that back one of the end zone. That was a great catch. The Mario Manningham in 2011 against Tom Brady. That was an excellent catch. The David Tyree again against New England in 07. That was a great catch. So when I'm looking at these things, I say those catches are better. I'm not knocking the other catch. I don't know why. Do you think it's the greatest catch in Super Bowl history? I mean, I thought it was pretty awesome, but the I, fact I that you it. do bring it up, Tyree, he did right on his helmet. I'm sorry. It was more skill. Right. It's more skill oriented. Period. Okay. So I'm not like again, I'm not knocking Jermaine Curse. I'm just saying it was an ec- it was an excellent catch. And again, right there, Russell Wilson and that last drive showed me a lot. Russell Wilson is here to stay in the NFL. He's a big time quarterback and got a, had a lot of doubters. Pete Carroll, despite him getting absolutely crucified today, I still think Pete Carroll is a hell of a coach. I really do. I love Pete Carroll. And I think if any team had Pete Carroll on it, you'd be satisfied. But to me, all the hatred for Seattle to me is the shocking thing. Unless you're a divisional team, Seattle was nothing up until nine years ago. Okay, When Seattle made their first Super Bowl appearance with Matt Hasselbeck, it was the bus Jerome Bettis' last game, who is now in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Good for the bus. That was when Seattle with Mike Holmgren, that was like the Bill Cower versus Mike Holmgren. That was the matchup. That's when Seattle started to rise, and then we started to hear about Seattle. But what Pete Carroll has done in Seattle, I think, is just he doesn't get enough credit. And despite him losing the Super Bowl, he's obviously still a Super Bowl-winning head, head coach. And his record speaks for itself. Seattle, look at it. He's 50 and 30. I mean, the seasons he had in Seattle are excellent. Remember that wacky, his first year in Seattle, he leads them to a divisional championship, okay? And they're 7 and 9. The next season, they missed the playoffs. They're 7 and 9. Ever since 2011, 11 and 5, they lose in the divisional game. 2013, they're 13 and 3. They win the Super Bowl against the Broncos, and they killed the Broncos. 2014, I mean, we obviously know the story. 12-4, and they lose to New England. But it just says a lot. Wherever wherever Pete Carroll has gone, they've won, including New England. Once upon a time, people forget Pete Carroll was the coach for New England. And he was 27-21. and Now, here's a little sappy joke. Who would have thought when Pete Carroll was hired for the Patriots that they thought they would deliver New England a Super Bowl? Well, he delivered New England a Super Bowl on Seattle because the play calling. Now, fine. Long story short, Faith, it's unfair to rip uh, to kind of dismantle Pete Carroll overall as a coach. He's done an exceptional job. He regrets the play call. We get it. I get it. Fine. But let's say it. This is going to stick with you for a while. Move on. And I know that's very easy for me to say playing Monday morning quarter or 
Monday evening quarterback. <laughs> it's very easy for me to say that and just say move on. I think Seattle's still a hell of a team. I still think you need to re-sign Marshawn Lynch. I think you have mm-hmm. a great future, and you have great receivers. And not to mention, that secondary is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Chancellor, Sherman, come on. Earl- Let's talk Chris Matthews, though. Out of nowhere. Out, out of nowhere. This guy's undrafted, out of Kentucky, didn't play football in 2011, went He's to in- Canada. He went to CFL. Yep. 2012, 2013, rookie of the year, 81 passes for almost 1,200 yards. Yeah. Seahawks sign him. He never played in a game until week 14 this season. He never caught a pass until yesterday. And now he's got uh, his first two catches of his career were in the first half. 55 for 55 yards. Touchdown. Look, to me, Faith, I love how you mentioned Chris Matthews, and I said it before. And he ended with four, with yeah. 109 yards and yeah. one touchdown. And the touchdown. To me, they had no answer for him. There was no, there was no matchup. But I'm, this guy came out of the woodwork. Oh yeah, absolutely. But that's the NFL. That is the beauty of this game. Tom Brady came out. Technically, you can say the same thing about Tom Brady. He was drafted like the sixth, whatever round, whatever it was. No one gave Tom. He created Br- a dynasty for the Patriots. Yeah, no one gave Tom Brady a chance. Sixth round, I was right. Sixth round, a hundred. 199th overall pick. No one gave this kid a chance. He won a Rose Bowl for Michigan. No one gave him a chance. Two-time Big Ten champion. No one gave him a chance. And look, that's the beauty of the NFL. You shine out of nowhere. Did you hear about Rod Gronkowski? Ever? No. He was an Arizona guy. I, obviously, that's just, you know, he comes out of Arizona. It's been like five seasons in the NFL now. It's going to be a six coming up in 2015. Mm-hmm. This 6'6", 265. This guy's the real deal. The real deal. And that's the beauty of this game, Faith. You don't know where these guys come out of. Russell Wilson, I said no one gave him a chance. Drew Brees, early in the segment, I said no one gave him a chance. Marshawn Lynch was the guy at a cow. Those are the best stories, though. These guys who come from kind of nothing, and they perform extremely well. I love this game. I love this game. I love this league. I don't necessarily love both these teams, but I respect the league. I respect the players. You know what? Honestly... For the NFL, that took a lot of series of hits this season. They could have asked for a better way to cap off their tumultuous season because it really was very turbulent with all the off-field stuff, with all the arrests, with all the domestic violence stuff. This is the way to end it. The most watched ever Super Bowl in United States history. And there was a great halftime show. Excellent (laughs) halftime show. Dancing Sharks. Unbelievable. I thought it was great. And you know what, Faith? It's so funny you mentioned that. It was the first time I could say I enjoy, except the commercials. The commercials were terrible. But Oh, you thought this year they were? The commercials were terrible. They were absolutely atrocious. But it, it, it's okay because the game was phenomenal, and I watched the game for the game. Yes. The game was phenomenal. The halftime show was great. Missy Elliott is phenomenal. The dancing sharks were just The dancing sharks, I can't, I can't get over it. <laughs> I can't get over it. And all of the buzz, I, I've never seen more buzz about a halftime show in my life. And I thought Beyonce a couple years ago broke the internet. Oh, yeah. And we thought Kim Kardashian broke the internet earlier this earlier Katie this Perry year. Katy Perry has, like, the most followers on Twitter, doesn't she? I think it's Justin Bieber. I think she's up there. She, she might exceed she, him. Wow, maybe. I don't know. I'm not on a follower count. Maybe we can get <laughs> Alexa or someone behind the glass to check that one out. I have, honestly, no idea. No idea. But Faith, nevertheless, a very fitting ending for an NFL season. You may not be a Patriots fan. I certainly am not. But well, who doesn't love a good football game? I loved it. I lo- and a great halftime show. Yes, absolutely. A great <laughs> halftime show. We'll be back with our second segment. 
Dan Kilbert from 24-7 Sports and SpartanTailgate.com will be joining Faith and I here on the pack, talking a little bit a little bit of Michigan State football recruiting signing day approach. Dan Kilbert will be here to break it all down. Back after this. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. All the gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pack. That is right. We're here back on the pack for segment two. Faith, Fino, Matt behind the glass, breaking you down all the up-to-date sports talk. Just had our first segment of the Super Bowl, and we're going to bring in our second segment here, Michigan State football recruiting, a little bit of recruiting action, and no better person to break it down here on the show. We've had him on before, Faith. Dan Kilbert from 24-7 Sports Bar and Tailgate.com. We welcome him into the show. Dan, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a blast. And uh, a lot of signing day stuff Wednesday. Uh, any new stuff you can tell us about Michigan State recruiting-wise? I heard there was someone special in the zone on Sunday. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, Michigan State welcomed uh, quite a few guys um, for part of their Spartan Day is what they call it. Mm. That's uh, something that Curtis Blackwell started um, when uh, he arrived here as the recruiting coordinator. A lot of top 2016 guys and uh, actually got a commit from a 2016 guy, Khalid Kareem out of Farmington Harrison. Uh, good defensive end in their second pickup. So, you know, uh, like you mentioned, signing day is coming up on Wednesday, but they're already thinking uh, two and three years down the road and uh, recruiting 2016 kids pretty hard as well so that was a nice pickup for him on Sunday we're talking with Dan Kilbert from 24-7 sports spartantailgate.com Dan let's dial it in this recruiting class here 2015 a lot of people are saying that this recruiting class has the potential to be one of the greatest Michigan State recruiting class in the history of this program some pretty pretty big praise for Mark D'Antonio's program yeah, no doubt, and um, it's it certainly poised to be one of the uh, highest-ranked classes D'Antonio has had, um, due, due in large part to a couple guys at the top, Larry Scott, the running back out of Ohio, who some think is going to be good enough to come in and start as a true freshman wow. and replace Jeremy Langford. Uh, I'm always a little hesitant to, to project true freshman to make that big of an impact, but, hey, you see it happen, uh, Le'Veon Bell was a good example, even though he was only a, a two-star recruit compared to Larry Scott, who was a four-star recruit. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's right up there. Now, in terms of being the best class he's ever had, uh, he's got, you know, there's a lot of uh, 
classes that have won a lot of games here for D'Antonio. You look at that 2010 class, mm. uh, guys like Max Bolo, Will Golston, Isaiah Lewis, Travis Jackson, Marcus Rush, Darkwood Denard. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, looks like a group that, that could be right there at the top. And uh, some really interesting pieces. I think it's going to be a, a fun class to see how it pans out. No doubt about it. And, Dan, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. Larry Scott, you have him as high as a 97, a four-star guy, 6'2", about 230 pounds, a true freshman. Really, is he the best guy on this recruiting class as to make an immediate impact as a freshman come 2015? Yeah, I think he's definitely the guy you're looking at because that's an easier position to come in and make an mm-hmm. impact at than, say, um, offensive linemen. You know, it's, I know Brian Allen did it this year as a true freshman on the offensive line, but that's hard to do. Uh, running backs and wide receivers, skill position players seem to have an easier time making that transition. Now, it, it, he's going to have to beat out some really good players if he's going to do that. You've got Madre London, yeah. uh, a guy who a lot of people were talking about last year. Delton Will- Williams. Yep. yep, absolutely, who we've seen some of. And then uh, Gerald Holmes, uh, another redshirt freshman who, who could be ready to see the field. So, I mean, listen, L.J. Scott's going to have to be really, really good in order to do that, but it's certainly not out of the question given his talent level. Dan, all right, looking at 247sports.com and also scout.com, both looking at both of these sites, 11 of MSU's 18 guys are four-star athletes in the eyes of at least one of one of your guys' sites. Now, you know, D'Antonio has gotten three-star recruits and turned them into NFL potential. Now that he's getting all these high-profile recruits, you know, is the sky's the limit with this program in terms of success? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a big help to get those guys. Um, and I'm glad you pointed that out. Now, there are some people who will say, well, they've won with uh, Dark Lesnard, who's a two-star. Kirk Cousins was a, a three-star. Um, you know, they've got a lot of examples like that. But, you know, the, the bottom line is Ohio State won the national championship with really good players, uh, most of whom were ranked four-star guys out of high school or th- high three-stars at least. I mean, you need those guys to win championships. Um, it, it's not just the player development. You've got to have those guys, um, you know, like uh, Jeremy Lansford or whoever it may be to carry the load. And so I do think, um, you know, Michigan State now, they don't really change. I don't think they've changed the way they recruit. They still go after um, guys who maybe some schools aren't looking at because they think they're a really good fit. And certainly there's examples um, in this class as well. But now because of the success they've had on the field with the Rose Bowl and the Cotton Bowl win, uh, they're going to attract a different caliber of recruit that maybe in the past wouldn't have seen Michigan State as a school that uh, could compete for national titles to get the kid the kind of exposure he wanted. So I really don't think much has changed on Michigan State's end in terms of the way they recruit. They're just uh, able to recruit at a bit of a different level because of the success they've had on the field. Now, they're taking recruits from, like, OSU and U of M, and, you know, you know, U of M now has a new head coach. You know, OSU just won the national championship. And normally, you know, recruits that were looking at those two schools, they wouldn't consider Michigan State, but now they're choosing Michigan State over them. You know, it, and I, like you were saying, they don't recruit any differently, but is that a testament how, to how far this program's come? Is it D'Antonio and the coaching staff, or has it just been the success? I think it's a little of both. I mean, I think first and foremost it's been the consistency um, a, a lot of programs you'll see have one great year like Michigan State had in, in 2013 and then fall off a little bit. 
and MSU didn't do that. They still won uh, 11 games the next year, and they've they've been pretty consistent winners throughout the D'Antonio era. So that's helped a lot. And like you said, um, they're getting guys who out of you know for uh, L.J. Scott would be a great example. He's a kid from Hubbard, Ohio who had an Ohio State offer and still decided to uh, commit to Michigan State, still decided to stick with Michigan State even after Ohio State won the national championship. And I believe that's the first player Mark D'Antonio has got out of Ohio who did have an Ohio State offer. He had an Alabama offer as well. And uh, Michigan, you know, they've been pretty consistently competing with Michigan uh, for recruits. Um, for a couple of years here now, you know, going back to maybe 2009 or so. But, uh, yeah, definitely being able to compete with the Ohio States and Alabamas, uh, going to Texas a little bit and pick out some kids. I mean, that's just a, that is something that we haven't seen before and, and has changed really um, in this class. I think that's the first time where, where you kind of have those things where you just go, wow, that's, that's uh, really unusual. We're talking with Dan Kelbert from 24-7 Sports Bar and Tailgate.com and, Dan, I got to ask you the question. I know a lot of fans really in college football in the state of Michigan are wondering this question. I personally think it's not, you know what, I'm not a fan of it, but the Jim Harbaugh hire, how much of an effect is that going to have recruiting-wise for Michigan State now that you say Michigan is kind of loading their guns up because you know he's going to rev it up recruiting-wise. What can Spartan fans expect with a hire like him of such prestige in Ann Arbor? Well, I think they can um, expect that Michigan will continue to recruit well um, as they have in recent years. Right. And that's the thing. You look at these Michigan recruiting classes that Brady Hoke was getting, even uh, Rich Rodriguez. I mean, they're highly ranked classes. These are They were getting kids still, quite a few kids that Michigan State wanted. Um, it's not like Michigan State just had their, their pick of the litter right away. So I think that um, – you know, it's going to depend on how Harbaugh performs on the field. Look, I mean, you know, Brady Hoke can, can point to all those recruits he got out of Michigan State, and it didn't do him any good at all True. in terms of victories. Uh, so Harbaugh, you know, he's kind of the, he's the hot guy right now. Um, kids love to see that NFL experience. And he's a nationally prominent uh, coach, recently coaching a Super Bowl. Um, you see his face every Sunday, it seems like. And so there's certainly, um, you know, he's the new shiny toy, I guess, for uh, hmm. for the Wolverines. And I'm sure they'll continue to recruit well. But if they, if they can't win games, it's not going to do them a whole lot of good. So I, I don't really see a significant change there. Um, but Michigan State's certainly going to have to continue to work hard in the state of Michigan. And, and that's always been D'Antonio's number one priority in terms of recruiting. Is there a commit right now that you see is kind of an under-the-radar player that people really aren't talking about that you think maybe can possibly make an impact down the road? Yeah, there's a, a couple of them. I think one that pops out is Grayson Miller. His, uh, his father, John Miller, played for Michigan State as a defensive back and was an outstanding player. And he actually only had one additional scholarship offer from Western Kentucky but decided to go to the Spartans, and they really liked him. He committed on the spot when they offered and he's going to be a defensive back for him with the ability to play linebacker as well. So kind of a, a hybrid guy there who um, I really think is going to impress some people and kind of be the next guy where you go, well, how is that kid only ranked uh, two or three stars or whatever it may be? 
And then Kahari Willis, another guy out of Jackson, Woman mm. Christie. Um, he's a, a three-star prospect right now. And, uh, you know, my coworker, Sean Shear, is extremely high on him. And I agree that uh, he could make a big impact either at linebacker or running back. I think he's going to start out. Um, as, a, as a defensive back, linebacker kind of guy, uh, maybe safety, but uh, really a kid who hasn't—he's—he's he's not completely overlooked. I mean, people are talking about him, but not near the top of the list. So I think Willis is another—I uh, guess—sleeper you would say to, to keep an eye on. We're talking with Dan Kilbert, twenty-four-seven Sports Bar and Tailgate dot com, Dan. Right here, you have Michigan State listed at 22, recruiting class-wise for this 2015 class. I understand Michigan State doesn't really invest a lot in having a top class, having the five-star recruits, but with signing day really on the horizon, it's Wednesday, can we see Michigan State kind of climb up the rankings and maybe swoop in a couple more recruits that are they're on the fringe of? Yeah, no doubt. Um, we just posted a story at uh, SpartanTailgate.com on two guys that uh, the Spartans are are looking to get down the stretch. Uh, One of them, uh, defensive end uh, Cassius Pete, um, is a guy who has uh, been around for a while. Um, He might be, uh, you know, a a guy who uh, comes in late, and right now he's sort of trending toward Michigan State. And I think I called him a defensive end earlier. He's actually an outside linebacker. Yeah, you got him as an outside linebacker. (laughs) Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, Pete is uh, a guy who suddenly seems to be one of the hot names. And then also uh, defensive end, for real this time, uh, Mufi Hunt, a kid out of Utah. Um, Now, some have seemed to think early on that he was going to take a Mormon mission and not come to school until 2017. But recently he's indicated that he is going to be a 2015 recruit. And he's one that uh, visited Michigan State recently, had a really good time. And so those are the two guys, I think Pete and Hunt, um, who could kind of put this class over the top for Michigan State and maybe even see him rise into the top 20. You heard it right here, Dan Kilbert's 24-7 Sports, SpartanTailgate.com. Dan, thanks so much for joining us this uh, this evening. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Good to talk to you, too. You got it, Dan. Take care. Bye-bye. And that is Dan Kilbert's freight. And he's all, you know, I love his insight. Him and Sean Cher are both very good. The thing is, and I wanted to get a couple things before we close this segment out. Had to. He's got a lot of, a lot of eggs in, invested in this recruiting class. And he mentioned it. It has a, the potential to be better than that 2010 class. But he's not willing, and I'm agreeing with him, he's not willing to make this room class the best yet because, to me, you don't judge recruiting classes on signing day. You judge them to see how many wins they get for your program. And we saw what 2010 did for this program, and he mentioned it, Faith, the wins that it brought Michigan State. Does 2015 have the potential? I think I, I think it does. I think they do, and I mean, they even brought up Larry, he brought up Larry Scott, and especially with the departure of you know you got Jeremy Langford and Nick Hill, I think he could really make an impact. And that was one guy they I think they really needed. The crazy thing about L.J. Scott is obviously he's a phenomenal running back. He's you know he's got size six two two thirty. He's big. He's got him ranked at ninety seven. If you're really into the, the, the sabermetrics of everything, but here is something he mentioned that I just want to emphasize: you have an Ohio State guy that just won the national championship, had a scholarship to Ohio State, could have jumped ship, very easy to do that. He had an um, offer from Alabama. Alabama. So you have two teams that are in the playoff that he could have went to and hands down committed. And you know, that's how I know he's legit. Alabama was very high in L.J. Scott. Alabama pumps out running backs like they are 
a like a Rolls Royce car factory. <laughs> Everything is to perfection. Mark Ingram, Yeldon, Richardson, Lacey. I can go on and on about what Alabama does running back-wise. They were very big on L.J. Scott. Michigan State is very big on L.J. Scott. But Michigan State's running back situation going into 2015 is crowded. Holmes, London, Williams. Can L.J. Scott get in there and make an impact? Now, if they don't redshirt this kid, I think he has a chance to make a lot of noise like Le'Veon Bell did. But to me, I love the recruiting class. It's You get the Dow brothers fine. Everything is That's great. Pretty cool. The twins. Yeah, the twins are in. Will Lurky. But to me, and I, you, and I love Khalil Gaines. We had the chance to speak with Khalil Gaines last year. The biggest thing for me is obviously LJ Scott. And it's very easy to say that. He's the flashiest recruit Michigan State has had in a while. Michigan State doesn't really have the flashy recruit. They've never really gone for that. Now they get it. Will he pan out? Even even Kilbridge said though this is you know one of the higher recruits that Michigan State's gotten from Ohio. It's 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 up there, and it's just I think it is a testimony a testimonial of how far this program has come. And you know what's really attracting all these guys to come here. Fifty ninth best play best recruit in the country, L J Scott, sixth best running back in the country according to twenty four seven Sports SpartanTailgate.com. So they're invested in this guy. I'm personally invested in him, and I'm curious to see what he can do for Michigan State, and I think he can make the impact. One thing we didn't get a chance to ask him about was Tyreek Thompson, who's already enrolled here. We're trying to get him next week. We'll keep you updated on that and kind of talk about his commitment process because usually what we love to do is after sign day, we have to let this blow over. We, I personally love bringing the commits on, and they tell me their story. Yes. And every recruit has a different story, and he mentioned Grayson Miller, and Grayson Miller's story is excellent. Okay? D-end, outside linebacker. He's undersized, 195 for a linebacker, but He's got a chance where his dad played for Michigan State. He got the scholarship offer to Michigan State, and he got Western Kentucky. So he comes in, recruiting class. Grayson gets offered by Michigan State. He accepts it on the spot. Every story is different. And I'm curious to see what other recruits and how their commitment process is. Maybe you, you see it with the Dowell brothers. They're another interesting. They, they decommitted and recommitted to Michigan State on the spot. I thought that was interesting. In the past couple years, before Michigan State was gelling, they weren't doing that. Michigan State never did that. And we see this now. 2016, Mark D'Antonio is smart. This is why I understand Pat Narduzzi leaving is going to be a blow for the program. But Pat Narduzzi is an all-star in the making over at Pittsburgh. He's doing a great job. But what Mark D'Antonio is, he's so savvy. Okay, Khalid Kareem is a perfect example. He's a DN. Go hang out in the is zone with one of our best defensive ends if you're Michigan State. Shalit Calhoun. Kareem hangs out with Calhoun in the is zone against Michigan. The rest is history. That is what recruiting brings. And I think that's what the average fan does not understand. Is there are so many intricals of events. There are so many, I don't want to say phenomenons, that occur. In recruiting. But to me, it's such an interesting and it's so fascinating because there's no doubt I think Michigan State's already making moves on their 2016 recruiting class when 2015 isn't officially in the books yet. The fact that Kareem already said he's coming to Michigan State just yesterday. 
you know, and, over a year in advance. You get with that 2016 class phase. You have Cameron Chambers, the New Jersey guy from Sicklerville, New Jersey, and you have Khalid Kareem, who we just spoke about, a four star and a very high three star, borderline four star guy. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Some big time stuff, Faith. But our third and final segment, we'll welcome Michigan State women's soccer coach Tom Saxon on the show. We'll talk about his offseason. We'll talk about his upcoming season and maybe a little bit of his recruiting process as well. All that and more back after this. You're listening to The Packs on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Prime Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the Pact here on 88.9 FM. That is right. We're back here on the Pact. Fino Faith, Matt behind the glass with you right here on WDBME Slansing Impact Radio. Number to call in. You, as always, 517-432-3893 is our number. If you want to embrace the Spartan debate with us, feel free. We'll try to get you in at the end of the show because we have our third and final segment with Michigan State women's soccer. And we welcome the head coach of the women's soccer team here at Michigan State, Tom Saxon, to the show. Coach, uh, thanks for coming on this evening. Hello, how are you? Very good, Coach. Thank you for coming on. Coach, uh, more importantly, how's your offseason coming along? So far, so good. We're uh, trying to get healthy with a couple of linger injuries, and uh, we're in our eight-hour week, so our, our uh, players are focused on individual improvement in both the weight room and, and – uh, the technical aspects of the game. No doubt about it, Coach. You mentioned the improvement for this team. Last season, 9-9-1, and obviously not a lot of – you set the bar kind of high there with the girls and trying to get the effort you want out of this team going forward. So some things this offseason, what things have you put emphasis-wise that you could improve on going into this upcoming season in the fall? Well, we kind of take it the approach uh, based on the stage that we're in. And so right now, uh, given the restrictions by the NCA, it, it is on the individual end of things. So, mm. you know, we, we uh, reviewed each of, the, each of the players' games, kind of a report card, if you will, from the fall. And, and they have uh, areas, of, in, areas of emphasis in terms of their technique. Uh, and then everybody, we can always benefit from getting stronger, of course. So uh, there's a big emphasis in the weight room right now as well. Coach, National Signing Day is this Wednesday, and what kind of players were you looking for in this recruiting class? And do you anticipate any of these players to step up and make contributions as freshmen? Well, we 
you know, we're, we're looking for kind of a well-rounded class this year. Uh, we have, I think, depth needs, if anything else, at uh, each of the lines of the, of the team and including in goal. So we're hoping to, to sign a, a small but talented group that uh, can help us at, you know, at each position of the field. And, and uh, uh, we're optimistic that things are going to go well there. Your team has uh, been very successful in non-conference play the, pa- the past few seasons. And this season in particular, you went 6-0-0 to start your year, but then kind of lost a handful of close games in the Big Ten play. With the experience coming back, do you feel your team will be able to come out more on top with those Big Ten matchups? You know, I think that goes back to what we're trying to do right now, and that I, I believe that uh, we proved we could compete with pretty much any team in the conference, but I, we have to make some strides, I think, in, in terms of our strength, you know, matching up in the, in the physical nature of the Big Ten play. And then, uh, again, just maybe uh, execution around the goal. Uh, so ball striking and shooting is a big, big area of emphasis right now in the skill portion of our training. And I think that can make a difference for us. You touched on this a little bit, but, you know, six of your losses in that Big Ten play came from just one goal. Would you say, you know, that stat alone is proof of how good and deep this conference really is? Especially with the addition, faith of uh, Rutgers and Maryland, two, you know, very experienced programs, uh, added more quality to the conference. I think it's tougher than ever now. There's certainly parity. You know, it goes right down to the wire towards the end. And, and so it really comes down, not to be too clear, cliched with inches uh, uh, and, and, and small little things around the goal. You know? And so I think we have confidence, confidence that we can put ourselves in those positions. Now we've got to do a better job executing, especially uh, on our, with our finishing opportunities. We're talking with Michigan State uh, women's soccer coach Tom Saxmith here on the Pack on 88.9 FM. And Coach, Faith alluded to this. You mentioned it earlier, too. So many close games, obviously the one-goal games, but mainly taking games into overtime, double overtime against Western Michigan, overtime loss against Wisconsin, Minnesota. I think the team is right there, and I think a 3-9-1 conference record, to me, can get overlooked because when you look at it, your team is right there. I think Michigan State has a ton of potential coming into this year. I think it, you said it's on the individual as well. I just think, to the average fan, 9-3-1 and one in conference doesn't seem too hot, but I think Michigan State, this women's team, is better than what the record says. I appreciate that, Anthony. I think uh, we all agree. You know, we, part, of, part of the thing you do as a coach is you know, uh, assess the confidence level and the mindset of the team coming out of a season, especially with the, the tough stretch run we had. And, and mm. as we went through our, our uh, postseason individual meetings, you could sense the confidence that the returners have. And, and again, it's, now it's just a matter of taking that next step. So everything we do, every little thing is going to make a difference. We're not, uh, though we have, you know, seven starters returning uh, from the end of the year and probably two or three others that have, uh, have starting experience at the Big Ten level. Even with that experience, we know we've got to work hard to, to take that extra step. And uh, and so far, we, we like we like our mindset. We like our attitude. And, and you know, we'll look forward to, to uh, adding some new players here in the next couple of days and then to our spring exhibition schedule. You know, that's a great time to, to give uh, – players that maybe didn't play a whole lot of chance and we're confident uh, my staff and I that we can we're going to put together a good team and be ready for a, another tough uh, Big Ten season next fall. Tom you have three of your four starting defenders returning from 2014 that's including the second team all Big Ten uh, standout Mary Catherine Vibernitz so will this be one of the strengths that, for the 2015 team? You know without a doubt Faith I, 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 I think our back line will be a strength and I think uh you know, Mary is a great anchor for us and, and, and is also very dangerous on the offensive end on restarts and on corners and, and whatnot with her ability in the air. But uh, we will be, you know, going into the, the uh, season with uh, probably, I would call it, an unproven 
uh, personality and goal. Uh, with Courtney Clem graduating now, uh, we're confident that Gabby Gruder, who was her backup all year, and, and the other young players we have, will step in, and step in and do the job. But it's nice to have a veteran back line in front of what will be uh, you know, a less experienced goalkeeper. And you talked about Courtney Clem. You know, she was your fifth-year senior goaltender. She led the conference in saves. She was also captain, so she had a very strong presence in the locker room. You know, do you think it's going to be difficult adjusting to that loss? Well, hopefully that's that the adjustments are already taking place in the leadership capacity, and we work hard to develop kind of our, our leadership behind the scenes, and we do have, you know, a, a good group of veterans back that kind of shared the, the captain's duties with Courtney last fall. You know, Courtney was our only named captain, but we uh, – Used a rotating captain system, so we feel like we've cultivated uh, a great group of leaders, and that'll be important for them to. And they've already started get, getting things going and, and filling that. And you know what happens on the field uh, will be determined. But again, as I mentioned, you know we, we have Gabby Gabby Gruder, uh, who's the backup last fall. She will be a fifth year senior herself this fall. She's got uh, some experience in big games, but uh, she's been a great player in training and, and pushed Courtney all season. I, I think I tried to mention that as much as I could because they did have quite a battle. So um, we're hopefully hoping that uh, you know our leaders uh, and Gabby and including Gabby can step up uh, as we move forward. And looking on the offensive end, you've got Jamie Cheslick. She led the team in goals and points and was a freshman, and she was named Big Ten All-Freshman. Uh, what are you looking for from Jamie this season in particular, and do you think she has potential to be one of the league's top players? I really do. Jamie is a special player, and I, I think with her pace and her just go-to-goal ability, uh, especially in the counterattack situations, she should be uh, one of the most dangerous attackers going in next year as a sophomore. I think probably – uh, Jamie suffered from getting maybe beat up, if I could use that term, going down the stretch in the Big Ten as, as uh, we got more, we got uh, scouted more and more, and I think teams put their best defenders on her and, and played her physically. And so I think as Jamie develops, uh, you know, in the weight room and with her strength and, and physicality, and, and also goes into the her sophomore year with a better understanding of what to expect and kind of the grind of the Big Ten season, uh, she'll continue to improve. And I, I really do think. Uh, Jamie will be a, a very, very special offensive player for us throughout her career. Coach, just one last question. I know you're finishing up on the recruiting trail, but can you just let us in on what it is that Michigan State sells with a soccer program? I think uh, for us, it's, it's our it's people, it's family, it's tradition. I mean, our, myself and our staff have been around a long time. We're all uh, Spartan grads, which is unique if you look around the country. And we also have a, a long tradition of, of – uh, a family environment where we treat each other the right way, and uh, that combined with uh, a long-standing uh, academic success. You know, we've, we've been we've been very strong in the classroom. Last year, we led the uh, Big Ten with 13 academic All Big Ten honorees, and that's something that's also important to families who who see a, uh, the opportunity to be a student athlete at a Big Ten university is more than just what you do on the field. So, you know, those are some of our core values. Of course, we want to be the best soccer team we can be, and that's the fun part. But uh, I think it's those other areas of family and, family and academics that uh, can separate us in some of these difficult uh, recruiting matchups. You heard it right here. Coach Tom Saxon, Michigan State women's soccer head coach. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. We look to talk with you real soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Take you care. Got, you got it, Coach. And that was Tom Saxon, Michigan State women's soccer coach. Faith, he's great. And I think he said a lot. I think that goes to us. And I think we're talking about, really recruiting-wise, the bigger the bigger sports, per se, football, basketball, even women's basketball, you can give them that. But those sports make money for the university, okay? Those get a lot of more hype 
you know, more press, more coverage, whatever you want to say. Here's women's soccer, a sport that doesn't really necessarily generate um, revenue for the university, but here it is, a core value. Tom Saxon, I think he preaches a lot, academics, athletics, facilities. I think Michigan State has a lot of things going for themselves, and it's really selling a program. Again, we were talking about in the other segment, what really defines your recruiting process and your pitch to the university. Obviously, soccer is a different path. Women's sports is a different path collegiately. So I think it's exceptional. I think Coach, you know, Tom Saxon, obviously nine nine and one, and I gave him a lot of credit. Nine, you know, when you see nine or three nine and one in conference, that's that's not good. But when I look at it, you even said it, Faith. There was like six games that they were just one goal down games, by one goal. Over three overtime games in a row. You're playing four overtime games in a span of five games. Come on. So there's execution issues here. Down the stretch, they lose four in a row. Penn State, Illinois, Northwestern, Indiana. So the wheels came off a little bit, and he said that. I think he's bringing a lot of the, uh, bringing a lot of good players back, and you mentioned it. Yeah, you're unsure about your goalkeeping situation. I think this women's team is going to be better than what they were last year. There is no doubt you bring depth. You bring your some of your players back. You bring some of your – you're the your leading goal scorer. Your top, one of your top goal scorers is a freshman. Come yes. on. So to me – Anytime you bring back your top goal scorer, I think you're going to be okay offensively. I think defensively, he mentioned there's going to be some issues they need to worry about. I think they'll be okay. And you mentioned non-conference, they're fine. They, they had some good wins out in Cali. Does that does that mean – I mean, they beat San Diego State, Cal yep. State Fullerton, so they had some good wins out there, and you mentioned it. Does Michigan State need a plan and schedule a tougher non-conference schedule? Help them for the Big Ten? He mentioned it. Rutgers, Maryland brings a lot of parity to the league. It does. It brings a lot to the league. And you're seeing that across all sports. Men's soccer, you know what you're getting with Maryland. Women's soccer, you know what you're getting with those two teams. Men's basketball, you know what you're getting with Maryland. Football, I know Michigan State killed. Across the board. Yeah, football across the board. You know what you're getting. But, hey, you bring Maryland and Rutgers in football-wise, nine wins, or I'm sorry, eight wins, seven wins for those two teams respectively. You see it. You see what they've done. So I think the addition of Maryland and Rutgers, I know on a bigger picture, not just women's soccer, has gotten viewed as, is this good for the Big Ten as a whole? It's safe to say, I understand it's a money move, but it's safe to say that the addition of these two schools isn't as bad as what people projected. I'm happy that they're here. (laughs) Happy they're here to stay. No doubt about it, Faith. Good show. Fun show here on The Fact. Getting to that sad time where we have to send it off to the Asian music show. It's oh, the worst part of the day. Sorry, the no Worst fence. part of the week. Worst part of the week. No offense to our friends no. over at the Asian music show. We just show. never want, to, want it to end. Yeah, we, <laughs> we just don't. So a lot of good fun. Uh, Dan Kilbert, special thanks to him for joining us. Special thanks to women's uh, soccer coach Tom Saxon for joining us as well. Next week, we're hoping to bring you some recruits, kind of break down the whole recruiting process as well. For Faith, for Matt Behind the Glass, thank you to Alexa for doing our social media today. I'm Fino. Thank you so much for listening. Keep it right here on WDBM Impact Radio. You can get your friends over at the Age of Music Show. Aloha and mahalo, everyone. Have a good evening. Stay warm.